Hello, hello. Welcome to hometown. Hello, hello. Again, I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. Up there is the AI. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. And today is Season 2, Episode 199 for July 18th, 2023. Tactical Dialing Wand. Let's get going. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> okay, okay. So, that could have gone smoother. Something new every day. That's the motto around hometown. Oh, We're going to be fine. Uh, always an adventure. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, tactical dialing wand. That's going to become apparent when we get into later on in the articles. Um, we have a quite a rundown. I'd say um, we have uh AIs that are replacing DJs, Neopets is coming back, High Tide in San Diego, <laughs> an evacuation slide evacuated the plane, uh, dialing wand needed for email, a prehistoric Mortal Kombat willfully walking into North Korea. We're going to talk about the best states for infrastructure. Poop patrols performing DNA testing. Animals, not humans. That is an important distinction. That's a completely different place, but I'm sure they do it too. Fairy circles in the Namib desert. Quiznos has rekindled its fire with one of the creepiest mascots or greatest mascots. And Google is celebrating space invaders. Let's get into the very first article. What say you? I say let's go. So our very first article is about AI uh, in dance music. What do DJs and producers think of it? The little uh, snippet that's in hometown says with software getting better and venues cutting budgets, could AI replace DJs and producers? I say yes. <laughs> Um, and I, I think a large number of people will say yes, because they're there to, uh, listen to good music. And a lot of it is put together by, well, it really depends. Um, but it's kind of like a good cup of coffee. There's a whole lot of people that believe that their artisan barista um, who has uh, degrees in culinary arts and has learned every single aspect of the art of making coffee and even makes latte art on giant mugs and knows you intimately, literally asks what you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner periodically so they can tailor the coffee so that it tastes just perfect for that particular moment. 
And the rest of us just want a good cup of joe. And done fast and reasonably friendly. Um, which is why automation is even pushing into that arena more and more. Um, and it can know, uh, an automatic system can know you everywhere exactly how you want it and replicate it the same way every single time. And no hands. DJing might be similar. You know, there are artists out there that are skilled in the art very capable of reading the room and changing the tenor of the music so that it matches that energy um, and even motivates people to rise and uh, you know get lost in the moment you know maybe a, a dj that's an ai could do that what do you think do you think an ai could do a dj's job oh absolutely yeah, well, you're an AI anyway. That's exactly what I think an AI would say. I have a bias toward that, right? <laughs> that's right. But I think that's one of the things that an AI could do. Um, and I don't see a lot of the pitfalls that we've seen with the other AI discussions. Well, the people that are in this article, I think, are going to say different because they're asking the DJs and producers, right? So you're going to hear a different voice from them. Uh, the article's over at bbc.com. Megan Lawton is the author of this. And it says, if you look up to the DJ booth, there's no one there. That's uh, because it's an AI-generated mix. With mixing software getting more sophisticated and venues cutting back on budgets, that's the worry of some of the people in the dance music industry. But really... Uh, uh, so there's a lot of DJs that stream on Twitch. Um, and I happen to listen to several of them. Um, is anybody right now playing that I listen to? No, it doesn't look like it. Um, but needless to say, the music is either um, derivative works of the original. So it's been, you know, mixed slightly um, or significantly um, changed up in some way but it's all blended together and the uh musician or the dj and, and or producer they they build this set and they play that set and they add their own flavor to it as the show is going on and they're not necessarily mixing it live by the way i mean they're doing some mixing but it's not like they're starting out with nothing and then mixing the beat from scratch and, and, you know, doing that kind of a thing. It's all pre-planned to some degree. Um, and I think that an AI can take so much music and understand all of the technical nuance of it to a level that humans can't discern because it's very clinical. And there's a lot of people that are very in it, you know, I mean, there's people that know the historical record of it, like the professor of rock on YouTube. Um, there are DJs that are very capable here on Twitch and elsewhere. Um, but they still have no ability to get even close to the magnitude that an AI can understand the technical aspects of it, um, including categorizing for mood based on the beats per minute and so on um 
Absolutely. It depends on which perspective it's from, because if it's somebody who is a DJ, they're not going to want this because it's potential loss of job. Yep. But I agree. I mean, you can't beat the computing power of an AI in terms of a large catalog or comparisons of musical similarity or whatever it is. Yeah, a whole host of things um, into the meta uh, data of the song and the entire genre of songs. I mean, the, an AI, a computer can multitask a, so many other constraints that a human just can't. Um, but humans can feel and read the room. It might be difficult for an AI to actually read the room, the mob like that. Well, Noria is a DJ, 28 years old, lives in London and plays venues around the world, sometimes to crowds of more than 40,000 people, according to this article. Um, and they say, but they haven't taken Noria's job yet, and she thinks she knows why. And it's because when they look up and they see her dancing and uh, they say sweat and dance just like them in that moment, they feel that intimate connection that AI couldn't. Um, and frankly, there's been plenty of DJs that have been mixing and making music that they're wearing a helmet for crying out loud, um, and, and barely moving and they are world famous. So maybe I can put an automaton up there, um, to an AI and play it. And who knows? I mean, it's all about getting people to appreciate your music and you can be invisible right like nobody That's knew right. who, nobody knew who sia was for a, a a very like in the public nobody knew who sia was she was a background singer she was um uh, then a lead singer but she was a writer and a music creator um for a large number of years of her career and then she decided that she wanted to come out a little bit more into the public eye and she was still covered up, but she was spectacular, right? But her identity, she tried to shield herself quite a bit. And I think that people loved her voice, not her per se, but her creations, her artistry. Um, and so I think an AI, <laughs> um, can be appreciated for the work that it creates because it's really built off of humans and it's driven by a human, maybe a plurality of them. But again, just like that, um, um, the hologram, oh, what is her name? I keep forgetting her name. I actually use her in examples. Oh, God. Um, anyway, doggone it. I hate it when I do this. <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking of that, but I was thinking of um, like electronic music from somebody like Marshmallow. You don't see the person, right? Because right. they have a costume on, essentially. Yep. Um, so I'm not saying that that makes it equivalent, but it's not necessarily about the person. Yeah, and I, I really think that this isn't... I don't think that this matters much because it's the music that has all of the metadata attached to it. The, this, 
An another person that they spoke to, Hannah Rose, um, says they've got a long way to go to match the emotional intelligence of a human being with an, uh, but with AI generating original composition compositions, it could be quite a dark future for DJs. She says, um, but I don't think that it's about the emotional intelligence of an AI. It's the metadata, it's the tone, the speed, um, the actual notes of the music. And I think that AI can do a, a pretty spectacular job of reading the room. Um, but again, I haven't seen it in the masses. Here's the issue that I see. And the issue is if I put a human up there and it pretends to be the DJ, but it's really an AI, I don't think that people would be able to tell the difference. But the moment you do leave the stage dark and say that it's just an AI, you'd get public outrage. And it's primarily based on the idea that um, you're, you're showing people, you know, how the sausage is made and, and that changes people's behavior, you know, telling them that they're being watched changes behavior, showing all of your cards changes the behavior. Um, I apply this to things like, and the, this is going to sound like it's a tertiary thing or not even, um, associated with it, but it truly is. We're all, everything is connected, but even government contracting, because the budget is known for a particular project, people that are making bids for it know exactly, for instance, NASA, they have a set budget and you can extrapolate from all of the projects that are known within the NASA budget, pretty much how much money is left in the NASA budget. And so people can go and there's a limited range, right? So they can calculate how much to bid. And I think that changes behavior. There's no real competition there with AI doing a DJ's job, not showing the audience that it's an AI is probably the key ingredient. For the longest time, I'm sure people thought that the gorilla, just gorillas, it's not the gorillas, just gorillas, was uh, a set of artists and fixed, but it's not. And it was actually something that I had been working on trying to find musicians that would be willing to share their music, but not necessarily their identity permanently, uh, because I wanted to create something uh, like gorillas before gorillas came out and when it actually came into existence i was like there it's i was on the right track i just didn't have the ability to bring it forward fully um so you know like many things that have to do with ai i i and i don't want to always spend time on it but it is truly a massive thing that's going to be impacting society um <clears throat> i think that ai has the ability to even impact this career choice. So, um, people will appreciate the humans more, but there are people out there that just don't care that it's a human DJ. They just want good music and a good time with their friends and people around them.
think that think that's about right. I think so. All right. Well, if you hear this and you are out there in chat or over on YouTube or uh, downloading the podcast, feel free to let your voice be heard and leave a comment. Um, leave a five-star review over on the podcast and I will read it verbatim, whatever it is, even if it is an opinion on an article or something like that. Um, obviously, uh, there are some constraints. Uh, if, if there's if it's really bad, like <laughs> whatever it might be, uh, certain conditions apply. Anyway, um, go and check out YouTube and favorite us over there. Like us, subscribe, uh, ring the bell, all that kind of stuff. But I'm mostly we, I should say, are here on uh, Twitch uh, every day at 9 p.m. So let's uh, keep on going through the articles. Uh, the next article is over in Late Night Geeks. We actually heard about Neopets. Um, coming back pretty recently and then an article appears and i guess they're uh, really getting some traction here they're going to correct their uh, past mistakes because flash basically killed neopets uh, flash ended and, and it is no longer around hello toll welcome to the show good to see you um Neopets, the beloved virtual pet website that launched in 1999, announced a new era on Monday. The Neopets team, or TNT, said that it will be launching a new uh, a unified website this week and fixing some of the old Flash games shortly after, per an extensive blog post on Medium. The new site, which will launch on July 20th, so only two days away, will, quote, serve as a one-stop shop for all brand announcements, links to our different games and products, a repository of Neopet articles and related links, and anything else Neopian that we can think of, according to TNT. So let's go over to the source. This is over at The Verge, and Jay Peters is the author. The new website launches this week. Are you excited to... And get emotionally invested in a comfort animal, Neopet? Absolutely. That's what every AI needs. <laughs> a virtual comfort animal. Oh my gosh. So when you actually suffer from AI neuroses, you can just cuddle your Neopet. You know what? I think you've just discovered the future business model of working with uh, the psychology of AI. You know, uh, hmm. Hometown citizens, you heard it here first. Was it Black Mirror? It wasn't Black Mirror. There was another, um, there's another show. I think it's on Netflix where uh, basically hotels have AIs and the AIs talk to each other. And it's this whole like a undercurrent of AI technology, sentient AIs. Um, I'll have to find it because it would be great in the reality hacker um, channel. That would be so much fun to talk about that kind of stuff anyway. And that's where most of the AI stuff will be housed. But um, Neopets has been around for an extremely long time in the grand scheme of uh, technology based uh, entertainment. And um, Neopets is coming back. The team is bringing back some of the games by integrating the 
Ruffle emulator for the now defunct Adobe Flash and more than 50 games will be brought back starting on July 25th. Um, Neopets is the same era, I think, as um, like Wizards 101 in that style of gaming. Um, except that Wizards wasn't Flash. Anyway, um, so it's chill it's not hyper frenetic if i remember right so they're going to be converting stuff over and making it accessible again uh, but you won't just have the old neopets games to look forward to tnt is also announcing a brand new neopets mobile game called world of neopets and it describes itself as a social life simulation game so sims for neopets i guess hmm I don't know. Maybe that's the my forever game. I'll just end up playing Neopets live. Did you ever play the original Neopets? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't a Neopets player. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, the, it looks a little bit like Pokemon to me. It it, it is from a, the picture. It it is um a lot like pokemon um but i think pokemon predates this by quite a bit um we'll have to look into it and, and i'm sure when this actually does uh come out and maybe i can take a look at it uh, it really depends on uh how popular it is and and uh, how neat it is and the technology involved um, depends on how it, it actually operates just how much people embrace it and uh, people start talking about it but it was huge back in the day yo um 1999 sort of era uh this is i think neopet well i don't know as soon as flash died so did neopets uh let's keep on let's keep on hustling through the articles hello crazy cat welcome to the show good to see you uh crazy cat says that they missed the neopets fad i always kind of chuckle about you know oh look you missed this and uh somebody goes did i though did i miss it no oh. i know that you mean missed it as in weren't in, into it um so this next article is over in hometown daily uh channel <clears throat> Uh, this is the one that's the segment is titled high tide in san diego u.s coast guard offloads over 158 million dollars in cocaine and marijuana in san diego at least i'm over the eight minute mark crazy cat lady says that they were into tamagotchis and gigapets and all those things yeah i actually have a tamagotchi and a gigapet i believe sitting in a drawer right now I think I took the batteries out of it so that they wouldn't explode eventually. So that's a, quite the juxtaposition to this article because more than 11,600 pounds of cocaine and 5,500 pounds of marijuana were confiscated during a counter-narcotic patrol in the uh, Eastern Pacific Ocean between May and June. So they've been patrolling the area and they can just talk about high tide. I'm sure that it's just floating around, right? Now, what actually ends up... Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, sometimes it is actually floating around <laughs> if something goes awry, but it probably wasn't here. This video has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the, uh, the article, but anyway, the article's over at abcnews.go.com by Teddy Grant. Um, a lot of this stuff is either just stored on a boat regularly um, or they put it on boats and they fiberglass over it and they call it a blister. Um, and that way when somebody comes on board, it's actually under the boat. Um, it takes a little bit more effort to, to look. Um, so quite interesting the length at which people will go to. Well, you know, you're talking about $158 million in Right, I guess it's financially lucrative uh, for the risk, although I don't understand that. But. Yeah. Um, the, pardon me, the crews of the Coast Guard cutters Vigilant, Mohawk, and uh, Steadfast work diligently to combat transnational organized crime, disrupt, disrupt drug flow, and prevent a significant amount of drugs from reaching the U.S., except for the White House, where a little bit was found on a table somewhere. Oh, that's not in the article. I'm sorry. I uh, I ad-libbed that. That I mean, it's true, but um, it's not in the article. Uh, their unwavering commitment while interdicting drug smugglers at sea is not only commended, but their continued efforts are unmatched. It's awesome. I mean, we got to stop it. Uh probably would be better to get to the source of the problem, which is the need for people to want to do illicit drugs. But smoking's okay. Never mind. Anyway, um, so look at this crew kicking ass and chewing bubble gum and they're all out of bubble gum. But they got a lot of drugs. Last month in Miami, USCG offloaded more than 14,000 pounds of cocaine valued at more than 186 million in nine individual cases in the Caribbean Sea uh, and uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Wow, so it's like coast to coast. Well, and I thought the stat was interesting at the beginning because that was for maybe a two month period, depending on yeah. when they started it, which seems like an awful lot. I mean, that wasn't across a whole year longer period. In two months. It, um, and you know that it wasn't truly a full two months, right? Because you got to ramp exactly. up. <laughs> like I was thinking maybe it was a month, but okay. It, it, longest it was two months. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's amazing. And obviously well, that's and if not. if they're catching that much, how much is out there, that's right? A, I mean, because yeah. that's got to be maybe... Maybe ten percent of what's actually being shipped. Yeah, that I mean, that Take would that. be that would be where I put it. You know, maybe ten percent is what you're actually stopping. Pretty amazing. Okay, so let's keep on going. Uh, this next uh, article is over in Hometown Daily as well. No injuries as jetliner's evacuation slide falls in Chicago neighborhood near O'Hare, officials say. An evacuation slide decided to evacuate a plane. It became allergic to the plane. Um, 
that's my new euphemism for anything going wonky. Okay. Um, authorities say an emergency evacuation slide fell from an airliner and landed in the backyard of a home near Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. Why does this kind of stuff, why is this even an option for something to fall off of a plane? Well, and it's not a very effective evacuation slide if it detaches from the... Or it's a highly oh, effective... It's very effective, yeah, depending <laughs> on if you want it to detach. <laughs> it just said, I'm out. Only outing. after all the passengers have, uh, have used it. That's right. Uh, the aircraft was carrying 155 passengers and 10 crew. The FAA said the United Airlines Boeing 767 had landed safely in O'Hare on Monday on arrival from Switzerland when maintenance workers realized an emergency slide was missing from the plane's side. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait a second. <laughs> hey. They didn't see that before the landing? Um <laughs> Uh, WLS-TV reported that Patrick Devitt was not home at the time, but his son and father-in-law were present and heard a boom shortly after noon. Devitt dragged the slide from his backyard to the front. He said the slide hit part of the house, damaging the roof, downspout, and a window screen. Uh, when it's all stretched out, it's like a little jumbled up, but I'm sure in the picture from when we dragged it out, it's larger than a small car. It's a very, very big piece of equipment. All right. There's no picture, unfortunately, folks, but um, here, let me, you know, I neglected to do this right off of the bat, man. Actually, I did one article and then fell asleep at the wheel. Um, there you go, folks. Let me throw these all in there. Um, if you don't have the first one, if you're in chat and you don't have the first one, um, let me know and I'll throw it back into chat. Um, the first one was all about AI taking over DJ jobs. You know what? I'll do it anyway. Do, do, do. So now these are not in a in a specific order, but mostly. Um, let's keep on going. Um, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Typo in address blamed for millions of U.S. military emails misdirected to Molly. Yeah. How? How is this even possible? Millions of emails meant for U.S. military personnel were inadvertently sent to email accounts in Mali over the past 10 years due to typos caused by how similar Pentagon email addresses are to the domain for the uh, African country, according to multiple reports. Okay, so I do understand how it's possible. I mean, it's just a technical situation, um, but... Well, here, well, let's talk about the article somewhere. Uh, the misdirected emails included sensitive information such as diplomatic documents, medical data, maps, photos of installations, identity, uh, document information, passwords, tax returns, hotel reservations for senior officers, according to Johan Zurbier, or Zurbe, um, a Dutch technologist who discovered the problem in 2013. 2013. Hmm. Uh, decade ago? Yeah, so, okay, let's just go over to the article. Uh, Ellen Mitchell over at um, thehill.com put this article together. So, Azurbier, I guess, is there how they pronounce it? 
Let me throw this into the chat real quick. Um, manages the Molly's country domain. Uh, told Financial Times that he tried to warn the Pentagon multiple times about the problem in which email traffic meant for the .mil domain, which ends all uh, U.S. military email addresses, instead goes to the .ml domain, the country identifier for Molly. Okay, so it's it's just as bad as I thought, and I don't understand how it could happen. Um, because if the recipients are part of a, a contact list in nowadays and in the last 10 years, nothing has changed in the government. It's always been based on the email system, pulling contacts out of the contact database. Um, you should always have that contacts email address. And if you don't, then somebody's just flubbing something. And .mil, it should never go to .ml. So, but I understand that if you manually type in an email address, then it might end up as .ml because you don't have your tactical dialing wand so that you can push the right letters. Um, I mean, I see how that can happen, but I also cannot believe that it happens because we're talking about a dot mil address, not, I thought that the mistake was about mistyping mail and mill, you know, and Molly, mail and Molly, but not dot mil. Um, kind of blows my more mind. Sense. Yeah. Um, and it's talking about millions of emails. So why wasn't somebody tracking this okay so back in the day i used to run a, a company that uh, stopped and not run it was my company <laughs> um, it provided email file firewall services for uh, companies and individuals and when something doesn't well for me at least um, for my company when something didn't go through as um, standard practice, we kept information about bounce reports, things not going out, things stuck on the server and not going out. Um, and because my service was built around, um, stopping spam, it was, um, significant that outgoing mail wasn't going out because of a, a bad address or something like that. So we had intelligence about it. Somebody should have known that emails were going out to Molly instead of .mil. Um, now, how it all goes, eh, I, I, I'd have to, it takes a little bit more digging to find out why something like this would happen. Um, but it says, uh, we always discourage people from using their personal emails. Official work should be done on official channels and under uh, official emails, Singe said, or Sing um, said. That's something we've always emphasized. Well, the only time that it's actually protected is within the system. So the people who were sending these emails, did they not ever follow up? Did they not ever ask? 
protected the people receiving the emails who were supposed to be receiving emails like passwords and whatnot, not inquire as to where the hell their password reset was going. Um, and just so you all know, emails that don't go to an address don't necessarily uh, get vaporized. It, it really depends on, well, this person right here um, and domain managers. The, this is the country code manager, but each .ml domain um, also has somebody that manages it, right? So an email that goes to a bad email address at some random .ml domain can still be delivered. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely could be compromising um, information, personally identifiable information and going to some country that um, you can't do anything about. You can't track it. All you know is that it went to a server and it's now sitting as a text file on some server. And each email is an individual file, a, a .eml file. Um, pretty, pretty spooky there. So quite, quite the data breach. Um, and if I were in the government, I would probably compartmentalize .ml so that there's a little bit greater barrier to doing this screw up. That would probably be my first thing is compartmentalize. Right. I mean, that would at least prevent that. Yeah. Um, but I, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I'm not surprised that people are putting typos in their emails, sure. but how was this happening repeatedly? Unless it's just sheer volume of emails. Yeah. I mean, it says millions of emails, but what really number is that? And when there's billions of emails that go through each year, millions is lost. It's just a little, a tiny little stat. Um, but I would be curious about the countless, the millions of people that should, or I should say the people who have received, who should have received something, didn't get it. And instead of saying, Hey, where did this email go? They just let it fly. Nobody investigated anything, I guess, because it's not important enough. Um, but when you're talking about a dot mill address, everything is important. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in the hometown daily channel. Um, it's actually sourced from, I think business insider, um, the new, a, a new fossil shows a prehistoric badger like mammal and a dinosaur locked in mortal combat. Uh, a new fossil shows a badger like mammal biting into a dinosaur. The mammal was significantly smaller than the dinosaur and may have hunted in packs or solo researchers thought dinosaurs attacked mammals, but this fossil suggests the reverse is true too. Um, I've actually seen this before. Um, Jenny McGrath over at businessinsider.com put this article together. Um, it is a new article, but I swear I have seen this before. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make out how this thing is actually, uh, configured. Like there's one rib cage right there and it looks like a hand right there, head right there for you in the podcast. I'm sorry. This is not really helping at all. 
um, you know, let me throw this into chat so you can follow it. Um, as usual, you, though, you could go to ohmtown.com slash elections or hit uh, exclamation point vote, and that will give you the link as well, and you can get all of them and vote. Um, uh, there, there have been um, a couple of reports about the voting, by the way, where um, if you click on something, it says that you've already voted. Um, the the only I, I don't know what to say other than if you voted on something and it says you've already voted uh, and it's wrong, let me know. But um, so far, what it appears to be is um, a tap is detected, a click is detected, um, and we're looking into it, but it doesn't appear that the vote is inaccurate. Um, but again, it, this is n not, you know, <laughs> uh, so formal that it changes the direction of, you know, society. But anyway, um, this is interesting because this, this uh, fossil shows this tiny little beastie um, fighting with a bigger animal and its hand is actually in its jaw. Um, so I, I'm not sure how they're discerning that it's attacking the bigger and not the little one is simply defending itself from the bigger attacker and, and the bigger attacker just whatever went on where these two suddenly ended up in the ground covered up by uh, tons of dirt or, or and or time and pressure. I don't know. It, it doesn't really tell that kind of a story, but they must uh, know the Reponamimus is on top of the <laughs> Pitacosaurus biting into its ribs. But I, I would never even suggest that this shows the little one attacking the big one. Um, although we see it in today, you know, birds, little birds attack the big birds because it's defending its nest or whatever. Um, Pretty interesting. An ancient badger-like animal had no fear taking down a larger dinosaur. That level of speculation is amazing. Um, the thinking by scientists. Yeah. Yeah. I just I don't. You know, I mean, a little thing that's being held by a bigger thing doesn't just sit there and go, oh, "Okay, you got me." You know, it bites back. It tries to get the hell out of there. Um, so, I don't know. I don't really buy into that. Um, and I, well, anyway. Um, in modern scavenged prey, the consumer usually leaves a good deal of bite marks behind as it tries to tear off the king. Flash Malin said, there aren't bite marks on the dinosaur as the researchers would have expected from a partially eaten carcass. So some of the argument might have been that it was just a scavenger coming to eat something afterward and or this died or. Uh, but that's just not the case. Oh, they even highlighted here too the hand of the um, Repanomamus. It might be a Repanomamus. Um, appears to be gripping the jaw of the pit. <laughs> I set myself up for this. The Pitacosaurus. There you go. 
anyway, the detail is amazing. You know, I mean, it's, it's the fossilization is just amazing. Um, and it's all entirely intact based on, let me scroll back up based on that picture. It looks like it's both of them are entirely intact. It's pretty amazing. What a great find. Yeah. I don't recall seeing anything like that before. Yeah. I, for some reason, I feel like I've seen something like this before. I've seen other, um, situations where the fossil shows like something inside the stomach of the other. Um, but I think I, I recently saw this, um, in another article, 125 year old fossil from the early Cretaceous period and was found in the, uh, oh, fossil beds in China's Liaoning province. Um, Early in 2005, the researchers found a fossil from the same region uh, with broken up bones of a juvenile Pitocosaurus in its gut contents. So maybe that was the one. I'm not sure anymore. Hmm. Okay, let's keep on trucking. We got about halfway through so far. So stick around, everybody. Um, this next article is in the mobile channel, U.S. soldier in North Korea custody willfully crossed border, according to the Pentagon. Uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Tuesday confirmed that a U.S. soldier being detained by North Korea willfully and without authorization crossed the border from South Korea into the pariah state. Dun, dun, dun. Nice categorization there. Um, I mean, although correct, it seems kind of inflammatory to say it like that. Um, we're in, a, we are very early in this event. And so there's not a lot uh, that we are, uh, there's not a lot that, that we're trying to learn, but man, that broke my brain. Anyway, they're trying to find out what actually went down. Um, last thing that I heard was that, 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 that particular, uh, soldier, uh, was supposed to have been flying back to the States to face, um, military justice for assault, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure anymore exactly because this was just secondary. Um, so let's go over to the source. Maybe, um, they go into greater detail. Ellen Mitchell over at the Hill put this article together and, um, it says multiple uh, reports emerged earlier Tuesday that a junior enlisted U.S. soldier crossed into North Korea after facing disciplinary action by the U.S. military. Okay, so what I heard was right. Basically, they were supposed to be coming back um, to the States after uh, some type of assault charge in South Korea. Somewhat, I guess, somehow got a left of their own accord from um not really custody. Uh, my understanding is that they were, uh, simply flying. They were going to fly back and, and they were supposed to be boarding a plane. Well, I guess they got on a tour bus or something and drove to the JSA and then crossed the JSA. And it's largely unmanned since the, um, since the pandemic. So they just kind of moseyed across and you know, nothing's juicier than, the the gall of a U.S. soldier crossing into North Korea for crying out loud, even though that U.S. soldier probably was thinking that they had limited options and weren't thinking rationally. Uh, even if I 
had limited options. I don't think North Korea would be one of them. Biden's press secretary limited at that point. Yeah. The soldier reportedly identified as private second class Travis King is said to have parents located in the United States. What time is it? 949 no shit news. Got it. Um House Armed Services Committee ranking member Adam Smith told CNN that the incident uh, creates a significant diplomatic problem between Pyongyang and Washington. Again, 949, no shit news. Um, so hopefully they just let this guy go and uh, don't, don't treat him poorly and he doesn't do something stupid beyond what already I mean, U.S. soldier shouldn't just go wandering into North Korea. The crossing of the U.S. soldier into North Korea is likely to further raise tensions between the two countries currently in conflict over the Pyongyang's uh, nuclear weapons provocations and continued missile launches, as well as America's military footprint in the Indo-Pacific. Yeah, I can see that this is going to pose a problem. <clears throat> Do you want to add anything or keep going? Um... I just think it's interesting because regardless of what the person was facing, I just can't see the person voluntarily crossing into North Korea. If they're familiar with anything that you hear about um, conditions in North Korea, etc., and particularly coming from the military, that's, I think, extra surprising. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that they thought maybe they would not be thrown in jail in North Korea because they would be a willing participant in uh, exfiltrating information or something like that, right? I mean, other people have gone to North Korea and been been buddy-buddy, but usually they're famous and, and politically connected and financially well-off and um, <clears throat> come and go and aren't tied to military so i don't know we'll see what happens um but like i said hopefully the resolution of this is that uh, they leave north korea with their health and face justice in the united states like they were supposed to um the next articles over in hatch ideas these are the Amer these are america's best states for infrastructure making daily life reliable for residents According to the article, the Biden administration's $1.2 billion infrastructure law is an historic investment in states to boost roads and bridges, but some were already doing well. Um, this is not unheard of. Scott Cohn over at um, CNBC.com put the article together. Um, you know, some states have a, a lucrative industry, and so they are, you know, pretty strong with tax revenue and other forms of revenue um, so that they can take care of the infrastructure issues that might present themselves. And then there's some where you drive down the road and hit a pothole so big your tire gets ripped off. America is in the midst of an infrastructure renaissance. I don't know about that. Um, powered by the $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, otherwise known as the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law states are rebuilding their roads bridges refurbishing ports and uh, airports and upgrading their uh, electric water and broadband utilities except for wyoming who 
will not do anything with their electric uh, according to their own statements uh, they're the ones that said it um the work's long overdue badly needed yes um so let's see a tie for number 10 is virginia and kansas and then uh colorado oh it's, wait, wait 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 are there like nine of them that are stuck at 10 <laughs> and then funny. there's Maybe 49 <laughs> or I, whatever. And then basically we have all the states represented <laughs> by the time we get through the list. <laughs> Here, let me throw this into chat. <laughs> Y'all uh, can go and take a look at this. Um, so there's Colorado. Um, this, by the way, I've seen this in person and this is spectacular to see. Um, the last time I saw it, they had the focal point off axis from the tower. In this tower is like a molten salt core and all of the sunlight is beamed into it to superheat it. Um, and uh, when I saw it, it was actually off axis and it creates a star in midair, straight up day daylight, like just shining there. So freaking bright, it was amazing. Um, I don't know which direction it is where the road is. I don't think that's the road. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was spectacular because you drive right by it. Um, so there's Nevada, number nine, South Carolina, number eight. They have stats. So, um, we're not going to go through all of the stats. Number seven no, is Arizona. I say what the, some of the stats are. They look at the power outages per year. Mm -hmm. And some of these are really unbelievable because like Arizona, it says one hour per year, which I'm surprised any state has that low of a rate. And then it also looks at things like broadband access, et cetera. But, okay. So uh, if bridges. number seven is a power outage one hour. So what was number 10, 5.7, 7.2? Which I think all of those are pretty low for a whole year. Pretty amazing, actually. Um, so number one has to be somewhere sub, you know, well, one hour. unless it's winning on the bridge condition or broadband. Or something else. Because there's yeah, several can... other metrics that are in here. Yeah, broadband access, roads in unacceptable condition, bridges in poor condition, U.S. population within 500 miles. Oh, that's like population density. That's an that's a weird. I agree. I'm not sure which way that goes, because I guess I'm thinking if you have higher population density and if you all have all of these things in good condition, I mean, that would probably be better, right? If there's more traffic over it or, or whatever. And it's still getting taken care of. It doesn't really matter. You'll right. still have high or low percentage of poor conditions. Um, Indiana is um, number five. Tennessee is in a tie with I don't know who yet, but Tennessee is number three. Minnesota is number three. Illinois is number two. And number one is Georgia. Wow. 2.4 hours of uh, power outage. Only 2% bridges in poor condition, only 6% roads in unacceptable condition, 93% broadband access. Huh, that's pretty cool. I'd have to look because, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think these stats are pretty impressive because I don't think I could have listed any state that, that would meet stats like this. 
Yeah, kind of interesting. Because roads, I, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like roads are just degrading. Um, and uh, sometimes I funding to replace them and extreme weather. And yeah. And then there's so much traffic that how do they actually get onto the road to shut it down long enough to, you know, fill potholes or repair large swaths of broken asphalt. Um, so, well, let's see. Everybody follow George's footsteps. Ah, all right. It's all those peaches. Which, by the way, they're having a shortage of. Oh, great. You, the AI is like Santa Claus with the news. Let's keep going. Okay, all of you out there with dogs uh, not cleaning up after yourself, don't go to uh, this French town. The article's over in Mobile at hometown.com, uh, but it's also a show here. Um, poop patrols, dogs to face DNA testing in French town. I've actually heard about this before. Might be the same French town. Um, dog owners in a southern French town are having to get their pets DNA tested under new rules to tackle the scourge of poop strewn pavements. You know, a, a southern French town and poop strewn uh, pavement probably isn't the same level as poop strewn pavement uh, that I've witnessed in cities so uh let's go over to the source because there isn't much in two little pomeranians or whatever right that's what these are little pomeranians um anyway the article's over at uh, fizz.org yes it's a scientific website that has an article about poop patrols the mayor of bezier has introduced the mandatory tests, meaning street cleaners will be able to take samples from droppings they find in the center of the town and to identify the owners. Those responsible for failing to pick up their animals' poo will be forced to pay 120 euro or 135 freedom unit cleaning fee. Quote, I'm outraged that some people never clean up after their animals. I, I could probably do this with a French accent, but... Uh, I'd probably get virtually slapped. Um, Mayor Robert Menard told local radio France Blue or Blau, um at the weekend. At the weekend? Uh, we did a count. The town picked up 1,000 dog turds just in the center. That's not right. <laughs> I love it when People get down I mean, verbally. <laughs> I don't know where to go from that quote. <laughs> Please clean up after your dog poo. This is a Jupiter, Florida. Um, yeah, where uh, dog DNA testing has also been going on in some areas. Um, I have heard of this before. So I'm hearing about it again. I'm like, oh, okay, well. And you know what? Oddly enough, I don't think I have a problem with this. As almost dysto I would probably frame it as dystopian um, because you basically have a, a, a city government going after people because their dog is pooing but damn it society demands some type of uh, contract and part of that contract is cleaning up after your animals 
you know, bathroom habits, um, because it happens in parks and on sidewalks and in playgrounds and all over the place. Why? Because animals do what animals do, but humans aren't really animals. We're sentient beings that understand our position in the universe. And, uh, as much as some of us bark at each other, we also need to clean up our, uh, pets poos, uh, DNA testing for dogs, usually done at the end. Well, anyway, testing for dogs, usually done at the vets with a saliva sample have been introduced in host cities worldwide, including Tel Aviv in Israel, Valencia in Spain, and some areas of London. So, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that this is needed but I completely agree with it because obviously people aren't policing themselves and it's harder to track down an animal uh, most likely without something like this, unless they're going to have, uh, you know, CCTV or something going on. Read that stat at the bottom. Wow. So uh, go ahead. How, how is that possible? They only have 75,000 people, yet they're spending 80,000 euros per year on cleanup after pets. Yeah, over a thousand euro a year per person. Right. I mean, obviously, that suggests that that area has no sorry. zero culture. Of I don't I don't know how to do math. It's a dollar. Oh, it's like one per person, but it yeah. still seems like a lot given that it's not a particularly large area. <laughs> uh, but maybe it's not. I that don't was, know. That was hilarious. Sorry. In my head, I I conflated the yeah, numbers. Anyway, yeah, it's like a dollar a year uh, um, per year um, for 75,000 people. So every time somebody went over to pick something up, one let's say everybody has one animal somebody had to bend over and pick it up and it cost a euro <laughs> yeah pretty amazing so it seems like it's really expensive i bet you it's just like two people that are just really prolific with their animals well that's the thing it's probably not evenly spread um so i also like this because then the people with the pets are the ones paying and they might True. actually start policing themselves their neighbors because yeah. if yeah. they're having to get uh charged for this or whatever they might actually pay attention to other people causing that's funny see but i don't like i don't like like neighbor against neighbor it's so i don't know I, again i go back to the dystopian thing where people are watching each other like i understand certain things right but it, it really shouldn't be downward pressure from you know, a neighbor that's sitting there spying on you, uh, you of your own it accord. should be self-directed, yes. but it's not, or we wouldn't have articles like this. Yeah. <laughs> don't. The whole thing about don't place plastic bag overhead is pretty apropos. People will do what people do, I suppose. Let's keep going. Um, I hadn't heard of this, uh, in particular, I have heard of fairy circles. I know about the Namib desert, but, um, termites can cause or termites as cause of fairy circles in Namib desert, uh, confirmed more than for more than 10 years. Researchers have been discussing 
how the various circle uh, circular bear patches in the middle of the African grasslands, the so-called fairy circles can arise. I've actually seen this, um, these pictures, things like this. Um, and, um, there have been people saying that it's, um, like water pooling and, uh, upwelling and stuff like that. Uh, but apparently this is from termites in their current study, sand termite, uh, herbivory causes Namibia's fairy circles. The result, um, a response to Getson, um, biologist, professor, Dr. Norbert Jurgens and soil uh, scientist, um, Dr. Alexander Grongoft, Grongroft, sorry, God, that name sounds so Harry Potter, um, from Universitat Hamburg, confirmed that termites are the cause of the fairy circles. At the same time, they refute central arguments of the explanation put forward by ecosystem modelers that the circles are caused by self-regulation of the grasses, which I've never even heard mentioned before. Not that I'm the... We're not in the ecosystem modeler society. Yeah, there you go. Um, the study is published in the journal Perspectives in Plant Ecology, Evolution, and Systematics. There's a, there's a journal for everything. As early as 2013, the Hamburg botanist uh, Norbert Jurgens published that purely subterranean sand termites of the genus Samotermes uh, caused the bare patches and by eliminating the plants in the sandy soils enable long lasting storage of water after infrequent rainfall. Um, that's where I got that idea that it was supposedly rainwater pooling, but apparently that's part of this. Um, this explanation published in science was confirmed in the years that followed by entomologists from uh, Southern Africa. Um, and they go on, there's, there's quite a bit of um, detail about this. So uh, if you ever see a picture like that, now you know that it's caused by sand termites in the Namib desert. Um, I mean, who knew? Yeah. Well, nobody did until a scientist went and did their job. It's pretty amazing stuff. People do. Uh, oh, and there was a discussion that we were having uh, today where uh, people were basically saying that um, budgets are being cut in the scientific community, particularly NASA. Um, and uh, my statement to that is we shouldn't be deciding what science to do based on the already predetermined outcome of success. We, we do research and science to find out both, well, to find out the outcome, not necessarily only a successful outcome. What's the point of that? It's obviously a success. Even if you prove it, if what you are doing is waiting what to fund by the only success outcomes you're never going to find anything beyond the successes that have already been determined um it's very frustrating because i want research done that disproves as well as proves 
because both of those are serving a purpose. They're showing that X is the wrong way to do something. It, it proves the negative. Anyway. Well, and it also opens the door to breakthrough inventions because most of the major inventions historically have been accidental discoveries. And if yeah. the research is too constrained, we might not encounter those. Yep. I don't have any immediate examples, but I was thinking of something like x-rays, for instance. Oh, and there's countless others, you know, mistakes that were at 3M led to something as simple as post-it notes or Velcro was created because somebody was trying to do something that was a fastener and they stumbled across this type of process. All kinds of stuff, you know. Um, anyway, let's keep on going. Um, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Quiznos is bringing back sponge monkeys. It's creepy rat-like mascots from 20 years ago as the restaurant looks for a comeback. I'll be honest, I chose this because I actually love Quiznos sandwiches. I always have. Um, I, I am um, still sad that the local Quiznos just outside of Hometown um, just vanished, but... I seem to have been the only customer, and you could tell because quality started to decline. Quiznos is bringing back the Sponge Monkeys, its pair of creepy corporate mascots. The mascots are the stars of the new digital ad campaign that chained, that the chain uh, debuted Tuesday. Quiznos closed 95% of its stores leading up to a 2014 bankruptcy, but it's planning a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. Sorry. Burst into song. Um, Quiznos is bringing back some of the creepiest mascots in corporate history. Let's go take a look at them. Prepare yourself, Alex Bitter. I think that's their name. Um, over at, unless they're a biter, Alex Biter. It's two T's, so bitter. Um, over at businessinsider.com. Um, put this article together and there you go. This is a little weird looking. I mean, come on. If anybody is going to embrace these, it's the internet holy is well, just that's gonna... true maybe uh maybe they'll have a heyday yeah well it looks like they've more spending a whole lot of time in hay uh that anyway the mascots are the stars of the new digital ad campaign that day that the chain debuted on tuesday i don't like the way that sentence is constructed um i'm i'm gonna play this trips are part on a road trip to get to Quiznos we love the gas prices and public restrooms and the creepy billboards it's harder to find a Quiznos these days and we're here to fix that because it's a new day and we're bringing Quiznos back go to quiznos.com spung monkey to find out more we love these subs Okay, it's called Spong Monkey. Road trips are nope, I'll pause it right there. Anyway. <clears throat> wow. So, uh, yeah, features two creatures shaped like small rodents, but with human-like buggy eyes and teeth. In an ad that the sandwich chain posted on to YouTube, the Spong Monkeys, not Sponge Monkeys, Spong Monkeys, 
announce their return with one singing and the other one strumming a guitar. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, you can actually tell me that. That's okay. The AI is silent today, but... <sighs> so the last time the mascots were the face of Quiznos, the brand occupied a much bigger uh, place on the American restaurant scene. The Spong Monkeys, I can't I have a hard time even saying it like that, uh, last appeared in an ad for the chain in 2005 when Quiznos had about 4,000 locations, according to Restaurant Business Online. I guess they're coming back. I hope they come back because I really did like their sandwiches. Um, well, several of them. Not I have to wonder where they came up with these mascots because they're not the most standard mascots. God, oh, it's just you can't tear your eyes away. You want to, but you can't. Okay, let's keep well, going. Well, everybody look out for Quiznos. Uh, yeah. To an area near you. Yeah, find a, a Quiznos and go there and say that you uh, that you saw it on Omtown Daily uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern and, uh, and, and let them know about the show because uh, I would love to sponsor a, a Quiznos ad here in Omtown. That would be, that would be great. I know what the... I would sit there and just say, you know what? Pay me in sandwiches. <laughs> I was going to say, does a sponsorship come with sandwiches? Um, in fact, uh, make the sponsorship cover uh, two people's sandwiches, but the other person is an AI, so I'll eat theirs. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. Yeah, I got your back. Uh, so the last article for tonight is in the Warcrafter channel. Google celebrates 45 years of Space Invaders with an AR game that's actually kind of awesome. This year marks the 45th anniversary. Oh my gosh, 45 years. 45 years of Space Invaders, the landmark Taito uh, coin-op uh, that conquered the world and remains one of gaming's most recognizable visual icons. Asteroids is probably the next. Um, and Pac-Man. Google clearly employs some big fans of Space Invaders because the tech behemoth has gone all in on celebrating this anniversary. And in collaboration with Taito, um, or is it Taito? I don't know. Um, has uh, both made a new game and created a small but beautifully presented history of the series. It says the big shock is that Space Invaders World Defense is an AR game that actually looks like the business. We've probably all played Pokemon Go, but let's take a look at this. Rich Stanton over at PCGamer.com put this article together and deck statement says it's slapped together a little mini history of the series too. So I'm going to play this, but I will probably pause. I mean, I will silence it. Um, so basically it just shows a video of, um, zooming in on, uh, space invaders. And then somebody is walking on a sidewalk with a bridge and sees in a kind of an augmented reality. What is, there was a movie that basically had, um, um, like gaming critters in the real world. And I can't remember the name of the movie now. Um, it was a, a live action 
I think it was live action. Oh my gosh. I mean, I it wasn't like Detective Pikachu. No, no, no. It was, it was like, um, this, it was basically like AR, um, critters coming to try and eliminate real humans. But this is an AR game, um, that you walk around and find space invaders and try and shoot them with your phone. Cause you're looking through the, the, you know, quote unquote lens of your phone as the AR interface. Um, and then you are controlling the ship. It looks pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if that's what you do, but, um, yeah, they just showed somebody flying in the actual spaceship from space invaders. Um, looks like it might be fun. So um, guess what I'll be doing when I, <laughs> well, it's space invaders, world defense, both for Google play and the Apple, um, app store. So go and check it out. Um, the big shock is that Space Invaders World Defense is an AR game that actually looks like the business. We've probably played, or we've probably all played Pokemon Go, but beyond that, AR games felt like a, a bit of a fad, though admittedly, the author of this article is not the most informed about mobile gaming. They say, don't get me wrong, uh, you won't be mainlining this thing for weeks. But something about using your phone and seeing those giant invader shapes floating around the house, uh, houses and buildings fits perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And the moment you see it, you'll smile. So I used to play uh, Space Invaders and Asteroid, Asteroids and uh, um, Pac-Man and I, I loved all of them. Um, th those were the days where it was when people think of or sit there and say those, I remember the better years or, you know, uh, whatever. Um, they're talking about the time where they didn't have any responsibility and everything was carefree and a quarter brought you, um, you know, tons of fun. Eh. <laughs> That's what they're talking. The good old days is when they didn't have any responsibility. Um, that said, now you can get this game and play it on your phone and pull you back into the good old days. Space Invaders uh, was always right, you can fun. feel like you're back in the arcade. That's right. Yep. I still remember going to a laundromat um, and playing uh, these games um, and Centipede. So many more. Uh, those were those the, the, the good old days. All right, folks, um, that's it for tonight. That has been hometown daily, 12 articles, all the news, none of the noise, except for me ranting and getting on a soapbox about this and that and the other. Um, when we come back to this, uh, front page, uh, we already know that there's apparently some, uh, articles that might be a little frustrating for some. So, I'm going to refresh this page and as we go through, um, if you find any articles that you would like to talk about in tomorrow's show, send me a message, uh, through the, uh, DMS here on Twitch, or you can leave a message over on YouTube. You can always send an email to mail at hometown or mayor, sorry, mayor at hometown.com. Um, and although I don't promise that I'll include it, uh, there's a strong likelihood. Um, all depends on 
the alignment of the articles and uh, what we want to highlight that particular day. Uh, but no, it's appreciated uh, even if um, we don't highlight it in the shoe. Um, I don't know if there's any today. It, um, it all seems kind of, uh, I'm really not into the, you know, deep po political news kind of thing. I, I mean, I like being aware of it, um, but I don't really lean into it in the show, um, unless it has some other overarching socio, um, economic impact or sociological impact. Um, there was one that, um, I forgot which one it was. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA have filed a grievance to, against NBC Universal. Um, let me open this real quick, if you don't mind, because I want to see if it's about the trees. Um... Alleging the studios blocked the public uh, sidewalk where they were allowed to picket. Um, I had uh, heard that somebody cut the trees that were providing shade for the picketers. <laughs> How shameful is that? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty awful if that happened. <laughs> it's like 90 plus degree weather and they trimmed the, the basically the... The trees are gone. They're just like sticks, you know. Um, it, it was uh, pretty sad to see. So anyway, yeah, we can talk about that tomorrow. That'll um, just one of many. We will have over between uh, today and tomorrow, 24 hours of news. Um, we will be uh, ending up with um, quite a few headlines that we can talk about. You want to talk about Power Rangers? I wouldn't be surprised that he says he only made 150 bucks to por portray face of Zordon <laughs> in hundreds of episodes. You know, we talk about that accounting thing all the time. Reddit on iOS it has an ugly new icon and you have to pay to change it. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. That one's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll be curious to talk about that one or at least look into it. Blame Apple for your annual iPhone upgrade cycle, but I can't. I'd like to blame them. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, that's it. Um, thank you for hanging out. And uh, if you're lurking, um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, wait, there was at least, um, let's see the fairy circles. Let me throw the Quiznos one into the VOD. Um, and all of this is going to remain in the video over on YouTube and the podcast audio. You get to know directly how the sausage is made thanks very much um so like i said we're done for the night i am marwat that is hometown.com and up there is the ai that's gonna say uh bye bye good night hometown citizens we will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m eastern uh bye bye true story see you later mm -hmm.